this morning before I invite my friends Josie and uh, Lori to read the scripture, uh, let's just spend just a single moment um, praying that whatever we hear from the word today that would challenge us and give us knowledge and shape us this morning. God, whether uh, people are over in the teen center, maybe they're at their homes, maybe they're uh, out in their backyard, maybe they're camping, wherever they're at today, God, wherever our hearts have come to worship, I pray that you would soften those hearts, that you would open our ears and our minds to be challenged and shaped, to be looking and acting and being more like you in our everyday. Speak to us this morning. Challenge us, shape us, help us to be the church wherever we go. Sooner we pray. Amen. Amen. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, self sacrifice, faith, and patient endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent for her fornication. Be aware, I am throwing her on a bed and those who commit adultery with her, I am throwing into great distress unless they repent of her doings. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts and I will give to each of you as words, as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some say call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, but hold fast to what you have until I come. To everyone who conquers and continues to do my works to the end, I will give you authority over the nations to rule them with an iron rod, as when clay pots are shattered. Even, also, even as I also received authority from my Father, to the one who conquers, I will also give you the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you. I want to welcome you this morning as we uh, gather together um, so, so glad we have the group over in the Teen Center and all of you who are joining us online. Um, it's a beautiful day. The worship team just sounded absolutely just beautiful. That was great. This morning we're continuing our series on the seven letters to the seven churches from Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We're going to look at the longest of the seven letters today, uh, the letter to Thyatira, um, even though the city was the smallest of all seven cities, um, and it was the least well-known. You know, Thyatira was founded as a military outpost, and it was very famous for its traders, for its artisans, like Lydia, if you remember from the Acts of the Apostles, Lydia, um, devout Jew, 
Paul uh, converted her to Christianity in the city of Philippi, but she was from the city of Thyatira. And if you remember, she was a leader in the early church, Lydia. And as far as we know, she was the first European convert to Christianity. Uh, she was founding member of a Christian community that actually met in her household. Acts tells us she was the patron of that community, meaning she was wealthy enough to support the church. How'd she come by her wealth? Well, the city of Thyatira, very famous industrial center. Um, there was all types of trade guilds in the city, traders, artisans. Artisans were very skilled. Copper, bronze, bakers, tailors, uh, lots of skilled trades. But they were particularly known for people who were skilled in creating purple dye. Uh, which was Lydia's trade, purple dye. She sold royal purple dye. That meant she would be a financially independent woman because uh, royal dyed purple was, was a luxury item. And only the wealthy, only the royalty could afford it. Now, the Acts of the Apostles tells us that Lydia's house was large enough to accommodate uh, not only herself, but, but a whole household of servants and, and, and guests. And she learned this trade in Thyatira. When she lived there, she would have been a member of one of the trade guilds. And this is really important to understand this letter to the Thyatirans. Uh, and it's one of the issues that's addressed right up front at the beginning of the letter. Uh, remember, all of these letters have the same form. The first part of the letter is an attribution, a title for Christ. And it's always a clue about what's going on in the community and, and hints at what we're going to hear about. So listen to just, just that title for Christ from Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. So the main deity in, in this area was this patron deity of the bronze trade. Apollos Tremius, and he appeared on the local coin uh, together with the words Son of God, who was the Roman Empire, Emperor, excuse me. Now, the words in the title of Christ, of the Son of God, whose eyes are like flaming fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, that's a reminder to the Thyatirans Jesus is the true Son of God, greater than all of the other pagan gods. This is a statement of Jesus' power over all of the gods that are being worshipped in their community. His eyes are like flame of fire and his feet burnished bronze. This is a clue of what's going on in Thyatira. Because this letter was written to people who aren't quite sure how they should be relating to the other gods being worshipped in the community. Partly, it says, because of the influence of a woman, a strong woman in the community named Jezebel, which is why I mentioned Lydia, because I want to get this balance. Lydia, a very positive example, strong female leadership coming from Thyatira, but as we all know, not all leaders are positive examples. They're not all for good, right? Jezebel's a negative example of a leader, and, and really how they can influence people and pull them away, put them in the wrong direction. 
We're going to get there. But first, let's look at the good news. Like I said, there's always a commendation, the good things they're doing. Chapter 2, verse 19. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, patient endurance. I know your last works are greater than the first. That's important because they're doing better than they were. That's always good to hear, right? It's important for a couple reasons. It's Thyatirans. They're a second-generation church. Jesus is saying they're getting better, which is the opposite message that the church at Ephesus got. If you remember the first letter that we studied, they were told they lost the love they had at first. Thyatirans, they're getting better. Their works are getting better. They're showing improvement. Doing and works are important words to pick out here because they're the metric that Christ uses to measure their success, doing and works. Christ says their works, what they're doing is important. And I think that's important for us to hear because so often we think if we just profess the right words, then we're okay. If we just talk ourselves into thinking that what we're doing isn't as important as just the fact that we believe. As long as we believe the right things, then we're good enough. But Jesus says, no. Your love, your faith, your humility, your service, your patient endurance, how you live your faith, that's what matters. And he says they're doing better than they were. So that's a good thing. But then we get the condemnation. Chapter 2, 20 through 21. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, calls herself a prophet, and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication, to eat food, sacrifice to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her fornication. This is a problem. There's a big problem right here. And I think it hits closer home than we realize today. These trade guilds of Thyatira, huge part of the economy, and they're a serious impediment for these Christians and their discipleship. See, if you were an artisan or a tradesperson, like Lydia had been dealing in purple dye, you had to join that industry's guild. And it was more than just a union meeting. Guilds were intertwined with their religious practices. So if you were part of a guild, it meant that you had to participate in these ceremonies that celebrated the God of that guild, which included feasts in the honor of the God and sometimes ritual prostitution. It invoked this blessing upon the guild's members is the issue. And even when that wasn't the case, the pagan temple, that was the place where the prostitutes hung out, and, and that's where those ritual meals were located, where the prostitutes hung out. So there's a whole lot of, well, sorry I'm late, honey, the meeting really ran late going on. And that created a problem for the artisans. They converted to Christianity, but they were still a member of these guilds, and they were still expected to continue to participate in these ceremonies, and they did. And I hope we all realize that ran completely counter to the teachings of Jesus. Being a Christian is supposed to be countercultural. 
The behaviors of Christians should be different than the behavior of the community around them. Back in 95 AD in Thyatira, but today as well. Christ says the behavior of disciples at Thyatira didn't clash with the world around them. That was the condemnation for this church. And I just wonder if he would have the same condemnation for disciples in the United States 2,000 years later. Do our behaviors clash with the behavior of the people around us today? Should they? And what does it mean if they don't clash? When Christianity and culture, when they don't collide, there's a problem. Would we receive the same condemnation today? Who's Jezebel? Jezebel. Original Jezebel is back in the Old Testament, and, and she lived a, a long time. We need to understand this. Long time before Revelation was ever written. In a nutshell, she was the wife of an Israelite king. She was not an Israelite, and she dis- seduced Israel away from God, and she introduced the worship of Baal, and uh, their Israelites' worship and practices, they, they just melded with the worship and practices of Baal and the teachings. And so over time, the teachings, the worship of Baal, all, it intertwined because of Jezebel with the worship of Yahweh. And it got really bad. So this word fornication, it means spiritual fornication. Playing around with other gods. Not being faithful. And the consequences were real. That's the issue for the Christians at Thyatira. It would have been really hard, if not completely impossible, for an early Christian in Thyatira to earn a living as an artisan or a part of a trade guild and not take participation in these feasts and these ceremonies for these other gods. And we need to understand that. They really couldn't keep the faith if they participated in all of the aspects of society that they participated in before they converted. Do we still think that's true today? Because at some point, Christian spirituality and the world is going to clash. There should be a clash. I hope we get this. Just because everyone is doing something or believes something doesn't mean it's okay with Christ. Because of our baptism, we're held to a much higher standard. In Thyatira, there's a woman in the church, claims to be a prophet. They've nicknamed her Jezebel. And she told them, hey, it's okay. You can take part in those religious ceremonies, the food, the sex, all of that stuff. The big issue here is the Thyatiran church. They believed what she said. And they were okay with it, or at least a majority of them. We don't know if Jezebel was an official leader of the church, but she had enough influence in the community that they were watering down their faith and their practices because of her and her advice. And Jesus is not like that. Listen to chapter 2, 22, 23. Beware. 
I'm throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I am throwing into great distress. Unless they repent of their doings, I will strike her children dead. And all the church will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you as your work deserves. So like I said, the good news is not everybody's following her. There's a rift. 24 and 25. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you or any other burden. Hold fast to what you have come until I come. As far as Jesus is concerned, his disciples should not compromise at any point with these pagan religious practices. You say, is that an issue today? I mean, what do you think? Last week we talked about syncretism. And this happens when a religious, religions, beliefs, and cultures, when they, when they intertwine with the religions and the cultures and the beliefs of the, the, the dominant culture around them. And last week we read the letter to Pergamum and their issue was syncretism, but it's a little bit different last week to this week. Their condemnation was, their, their beliefs were being polluted by the beliefs of the world around them. For the church at Thyatira, they're struggling with syncretism, but it's a little bit different. For them, it's more about their action than their beliefs. Their actions don't look any different from the actions of the people around them. That's their condemnation from Christ. And that would never happen today, right? It's amazing how quickly this can happen. I'll give you an example. I was thinking about this this last week. You know, I grew up as a kid in Walla Walla, not very far away. Sports, school activities, they were on weeknights, sometimes Saturdays, but we never had anything on Wednesday night. Growing up, that was youth group night, the school district just left it alone. It was sacrament. I mean, it was, we didn't have anything. Never had football practice on Wednesday night because kids were supposed to be in youth group on Wednesday night. You would never, ever dream of an organized sports event on Sunday morning. That wasn't very long ago. But Christianity and the secular culture, what I would call a pagan, you know, religion, They've fused. And until COVID, just this last year, there were sports every Sunday morning for kids. Within one generation, that happened. And, and, and Christians were okay with it. Christians participated in it. Because we listened to Jezebel. I wonder if one way we can offer this season, 2020, to God for some redemption is reevaluating the patterns in our lives and our actions and asking God to reorient our lives and our actions back to the way that He desires. I mean, it's so easy to drift just little by little by little by little, and pretty soon you are completely off course. We can experience a resurrection in the midst of this tomb of 2020. And we can use it as a course corrective to get back on track. Do our lives, my life, your life, are they any different than the lives of the people who don't affirm 
Jesus as Lord, really? Or has Jezebel just subtly and slowly pulled us away? What can we do about it? Like, first and foremost, we need to pray. We need to pray for our families and our friends and our schools and our communities. We talked about this over and over, but, you know, prayer is not just lifting an issue up to God and saying, hey, get on that. Can you do something about this? Prayer is listening. It's listening for that still, small voice of God directing us as we open up our lives to become part of the solution that we've lifted up as a problem. Asking God to address those issues through our actions. I mean, if we think it's important enough to bring to the Almighty, we need to open up our lives to be part of the solution. I mean, often God will fix the issue through prayer, and a big part of that is calling. And we listen. Throughout 2020, I mean, there have been time and time again when we've had something to cry to God with. You know, how can this happen, God? What will you do? And I think over and over, I, I, I think the same God is looking at his people and saying, what will you do, O oh church? This is a problem. And I'm waiting. You know, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ the physical, tangible presence of Christ in the world. That's not a description. That's a mandate. That's a call. Is there any difference in how we are facing 2020 from our neighbors who are not Christians? What are they concerned about? And are they the same things that we're concerned about? I mean, we forget the goal of Christianity is not an easy life. It's not a life with no suffering. It's the goal of disciple is not to be rich, not to have a huge house and a lot of cars and boats and all that stuff. The goal of a disciple is to love God and love neighbor. We're to be the agents through whom God alleviates the suffering in the world. I mean, that's what the church is. The, the church, it's not a place, it's a people. It's a movement. We've talked about it. It's not a noun, it's a verb. It's action. Are there easy answers to the problems we're facing today? <laughs> no, they're not. Otherwise, we would have fixed the problems a long time ago. But when we begin to honestly pray and listen for God's voice, what is he calling us to do? And then we respond, thy will be done. That's when the world starts to change. We need to wake the church up. Become an active force in the world during COVID. COVID is not our biggest problem. It's high on the list, but it is nowhere as big a problem as the human condition, the human heart. I mean, COVID is here. This last week, you know, the president, his wife, all of, you know, how, who knows how many others have gotten it. No one's been able to sequester themselves like the president has. We need to realize this is reality. We need to learn to live around it, not in fear. We need to be wise. 
But the biggest issue we face is the exact same issue we had a year ago before COVID. And that's our human condition. We're imperfect. (laughs) We're all self-consumed. I mean, we're lost. And only through a relationship with Christ can the focus of our hearts move from being focused on the self and what I can get out of this to a focus on the needs of others. That's when the world starts to change. There's the hurts that really lie at the bottom of all of the evils in our world. They're, they're, they're spiritual hurts and burdens. The Bible says when there's no vision, the people perish. You know, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but there's a lot of perishing right now. Our community, our nation, our world right now. The more I really hear God in the midst of 2020, the, 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 the clearer it is. I mean, the real solution to the problems we are facing, it's not a vaccine as important as that is. We've got to address the human heart. We have the antidote to bring healing, to bring deliverance to this world. We have a huge hole in our hearts. And we try to fill it, that hole. We try to fill it with money. We try to fill it with possessions. Some of us with various types of addictions, be it drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever. That's not the vaccine we need. It's not going to work. We need to experience forgiveness and reconciliation. The path is being forgiven. The path is being reconciled to God, to ourselves, to one another. Jesus is the solution to the deepest longings of the human heart. I mean, through a relationship with him, we we are transformed. We change. We change. And when we change, the world around us changes, and the world around us notices. Because Jesus changes everything. Without him, we're lost. We can never be the person that God has created us to be. Christ changes the world one person at a time. So this letter to Thyatira, it ends with a promise. But first, there's a word of encouragement for those who are not following Jezebel, those who are struggling in the trenches to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you or any other burden. Hold fast to what you have until I come. Then he says, to everyone who conquers and continues to do my work to the end, I give authority over the nations. Rule them with an iron rod. And when clay pots are shattered, even as I received authority from my father to the one who conquers, I will give my morning star. That means I will give you myself. I've overcome the world and I give myself so that you might overcome. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What's the word for us today? Are we tolerating Jezebel? Has Jezebel pulled us away? If so, we gotta stop we got to hold fast. The one who conquers will receive the morning star. We can be conquerors 
in the midst of 2020, the reality of the resurrected Christ can be experienced. And through the Holy Spirit, this world can change. But we can't look like the rest of the world. We join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you on this day for hope. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your transformation. I thank you for the resurrection, that regardless of the darkness of the tomb, you can burst forth the stone and bring new life. Lord, bring us life. In your son's name we pray, amen.